The first reading tonight comes from Psalm 6. Actually, it is Psalm 6. It's quite short. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. And our second reading this evening is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Uh, It's in the one booklets. Paul's just got some spares there if you need to raise your hand if you don't have one. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting from verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Good evening, 645. Uh, Tonight, we are going back to school. Uh, We're going to prayer school and we're going to have a lesson from our Apostle Paul. You know, as you, as you look at the content of what people pray, you can actually discover quite a lot about them. That is to say that the things that we pray about, well, they're the things that really matter to us because we bring them before God. And the things that we don't pray about, well, arguably, they don't matter that much. I wonder if you can... Uh, decipher what mattered to me. Uh, This is my prayer diary from when I was 20 years old. 
I wonder if you can work out what was important to me on the 29th of June, 2004. I've listed my prayer points here as rest, sort out my life, help me with girls, patience at rowing. It's it's quite obvious that what mattered to me when I was 20 years old was me. (laughs) And uh, arguably, things haven't changed that much, but I, I hope I've become a little... A little more other person-centered. But what if I got to listen in on your prayers? What if I got to hear the content of what you pray? What would it reveal about what matters to you? What would I hear you praying for the church? I wonder if you would pray for the church in your private prayers. Presuming that, like most of us, uh, the majority of your praying for church happens when you're here at church, If we threw it open to the floor now and we had a time of open prayer, what comes to your mind as things that you would perhaps lead us in prayer for tonight? Community. Perhaps you'd pray for our Pastor Paul, for Steph, our women's worker. Praying that uh, that we would respond humbly and obediently to God's word. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was... Uh, the 1800s Prince of Preachers, he was called. He said this about prayer. He said, if you know how to pray, you can move heaven and earth. Don't you want prayers that move heaven and earth? Tonight, God invites us to a private tutorial in prayer. Uh, We get the privilege of listening in on the Apostle Paul as he prays for the Christian church. And uh, my prayer is that as we listen in, that that our prayers will begin to reflect Paul's prayers. Uh, But not only that, but God will also use these prayers to shape our desires and our pursuits as well. Here's how we're going to do it. And we're going to look at the content of Paul's prayers, and we're going to be asking ourselves these questions. We're going to be asking ourselves, why does he pray? Or why should we pray? Who do we pray to? Um, what, uh, how do we pray? We'll also ask, what do we pray? And what should we expect from our prayers? Let's begin with why. Why do we pray? Paul begins our passage for this reason. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you flick over your page, you'll see that actually last week's reading also started for this reason. So Paul is, is finishing here a sentence he began 13 verses ago. What is the reason that Paul prays? It's because of all that God has done in the first three chapters of this book. All of God's previous actions, his promises, his purposes, and what has God done? Let's, let's try and recall to our minds, what are the things that God has done for us in Christ? Chapter 1, verse 3 We know that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 10. God has revealed his eternal plans to us. He is going to bring everything, he says, everything in heaven and on earth to unity under Christ. Chapter 2, verse 5. We've discovered that we who were dead in our sins and transgressions, we've been made alive with Christ. Chapter 2.16, in Christ, 
and through his death on the cross in our place, God has made it possible for anyone from any background, Jewish believer, Gentile believer, to be reconciled to God. And now that he's reconciled us to God, as Paul taught us last week, he has reconciled us to one another. God has done so much. He spends the first half of his letter, Paul, writing, looking up at God and looking at his eternal plans and purposes, his amazing promises. And then he spends the second half of his letter looking in on the Ephesian church and how they should respond to God. And in the middle of his letter, right here where we are tonight, Paul stops and he prays. And it's a good diagnostic question for us about our prayer life, isn't it? What is it? What's the the main driving or motivating factor for you to pray? Is it God's eternal plans and purposes? Is it his, his unfailing promises that you find in Scripture that drives you to pray? Or is it circumstance, those pressing immediate needs? If we are constantly driven to prayer by our circumstances in our lives, we're going to have a relatively unfulfilling prayer life. But if, like Paul, we let God's plans, God's purposes, God's promises drive us to him in prayer, we will have prayers that move heaven and earth. Arguably, we will have prayers as rich, a prayer life as rich as the Apostle Paul's. So that's why we should pray, because of all that God has done, because of all that God has promised to us, that we can drag those promises into our lives and make them um, present realities. So our second question, who should we pray to? Now that's quite an obvious question, isn't it? But it's worth having a look at. Take a look with me in verse 14 at what Paul says. Verse 14, For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You know, it's no small privilege to call God our Father. It's not something that Paul would have done as a zealous Jewish man before meeting Jesus. As far as we know, Old Testament Jews did not refer to God as their Father. It is a special privilege that belongs to you as a Christian. And uh, I, I will never forget the, um, the night when Peter Bradhurst was teaching our Bible study about the Lord's Prayer. And he said this, this little thing. He said, uh, I try to pray the Lord's Prayer. I'll try and put a deep Peter Bradhurst voice on. I try and pray... Oh, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> I try and pray the Lord's Prayer every day, he said but I often struggle to get past the first line. What is that first line? Our Father in heaven. It was evident that Peter was moved by the privilege of being able to refer to the God of the universe as his Father. It's a privilege that we should never take for granted, but he's not just your Father, is he? What did our passage say? He's the Father from whom the whole family of believers, believers in heaven, believers on earth, derive our name. And that should fill us with great confidence as we pray. As you pray for a Christian brother and sister whose relationship just seems completely 
irreconcilable. You are praying to his father and you're praying to her father. And you know what his and her father's will is, don't you? You know that he's reconciled them to himself and that his purpose is to reconcile them to one another. So pray with great confidence to his father and her father. What a privilege to be able to pray before the father of all of the church. So that's, uh, that's who Paul prays to. How does Paul come before his father in heaven? Let's have a look. In confidence, but in reverence. For this reason, he says, I kneel. I kneel before the father. There, there's no mandate in Scripture for the posture that we should adopt when we pray. In, in Paul's day, they would have prayed uh, regularly standing up. I like to pray walking around the neighborhood. Uh, I know others who like to pray while they drive their car. I actually bumped into the back of someone when I was praying driving my car, so I've stopped doing that. But, uh, but there is no mandate for how you should pray. But I do hope that there are times when you do find yourself kneeling before God. Because we don't kneel before anyone these days, do we? It's an expression of utter earnestness, of great humility and understanding of the true situation of things. And you know what? I know that there are people who probably can't kneel, and it's not about physical posture. It's about your heart posture. So I hope that there are times that you come before God no interruptions, no prayer and, and, and washing up, no prayer and hanging out the washing, just you and God and a time of utter earnestness before him. Well, let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's look at the content of Paul's prayer and we want to ask ourselves the question, what should we be praying for God's church? I've got to be totally honest with you uh, just before we launch into this little section. Um, I don't know if you... I, I find Paul's prayers a little like the prayers in the Anglican prayer book. Uh, I know that they were written a long time ago. Uh, I know that they were written by wonderfully God-fearing men. Um, I always say aloud amen to them at the end, but I'm never sure if I really understand what I've just prayed. And, uh, and Paul's prayers are big. They're really big. So I've had to work quite hard really hard to understand uh, what it is that Paul is praying here. And I'm going to ask you to work hard with me now as we go through and look at the content of these prayers. So let's have a read with them. The first thing that Paul asks uh, God for, the first thing that he prays, is that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Let's read it. He says, I pray that out of his, who's his? That out of our heavenly Father's glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that God the Son, Jesus Christ, dwell in your hearts through faith. That is a wonderfully Trinitarian prayer. Asking God the Father for power, so that by, uh, for power from God the Spirit so that God the Son might dwell in your hearts. That is amazing. You are being tied up with the Trinitarian relationship of God. Paul is praying that you would 
become, uh, that you would take part in that relationship. But I might just point out to you there, Paul, as you pray this, is it a little bit redundant? I mean, we know, don't we, that the minute you become a Christian, Jesus enters into your heart. So why do you need to pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts? Are you asking, Paul, are you asking that we would have more of Christ? I think what Paul is is really praying here is that actually Christ would have more of us. Let me, let me illustrate to explain what I mean. Uh, three years ago, Bridget and I scrounged together all the money we had. Uh, Bridget's my wife. And we scrounged together our money and we put a deposit on a house. Uh, we, we moved in on... Uh, or we, we, we got the keys on the 1st of June, July 2010. And on that day, we became the new residents of this home. But the house still resembled, resembled its old occupant. Uh, the late Trudor McMahon, it had stripy, peeling brown wallpaper. It had dusty cream carpets. It had a lino kitchen, lino benchtops, lino everything uh, in, in the kitchen. Uh, the house resembled its former occupants. But as we, we slowly got together uh, a bit more money and a bit more time on our hands, we started to uh, exert our presence in that place and, and we pulled the, pulled the carpet up, teared the wallpaper down, put, paint all, uh, put a fresh coat of paint through the house. We pulled up our half-dead roses out the front uh, and planted fruit trees and some lavender. And so over time, over the years, uh, this house, one met a street ride, it's beginning to resemble less and less its former occupant and beginning to resemble more and more its new occupant, the Austins. And that is Paul's prayer for the church, that you and I would resemble less and less the, our old selves, the sin that ruled over us, as he said in, a, in chapter 2, that the evil one ruled and reigned in our hearts. His prayer is that our lives would start to reflect its new occupants, the Lord Jesus Christ. His exact words are, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell there is the idea of a permanent residence. Does that, does that ring a bell with you? Does Christ have permanent residence in your heart? Or does he just come over on a Sunday and go home for the rest of the week? I believe for most of us here uh, that, yes, we can affirm, Christ does dwell in my heart. But you know, you know when you have a, a friend who comes over to your house and they stay there for a long time and they're a resident at your house? Uh, but they always feel like they need to ask if they can help themselves to the pantry. Uh, and they're never at ease just to go in and grab a towel from the linen cupboard. And you actually kind of want to keep it that way because you want to remind them that this is your house, don't you? And I think sometimes we might be in danger of treating Christ like that. Uh, yes, you can dwell here, Jesus, but remember whose house this is. I remember that I'm in control, and at the end of the day, I'll have the final word. 
Unfortunately, that doesn't work with Jesus Christ because we know that he's a king. And so wherever he dwells, he also reigns. Christ wants to reign in your heart and reign over your whole life. And that's why Paul needs to pray for power from God through his spirit. Power to let Christ into every room of your life. Power to let Christ dwell and reign in your bedroom. Power to let Christ dwell and reign in your liquor cabinet. Power to let Christ dwell and reign in your office. Power to open up doors to the Lord Jesus Christ that you have never been willing to open before. Power to let him access areas you didn't even know he wanted access to. Like the things that you joke about. Uh, Like as we'll see in the coming weeks, actually every word that comes out of your mouth. Christ wants to rule over everything. If you ask me, that is a very scary prospect. Giving someone an access all areas past to your life and giving that to the Lord of heaven and earth. To do this, Paul knows that we are going to need power. And that's why he moves to his second prayer. He prays that we would know the limitless love of Christ. Why don't you read his prayer with me? He says, halfway through verse 17, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Here's why the two prayers are so inextricably linked. Because if you get how much Jesus loves you, then you will be willing to give over more and more of your life to him. That's the amazing thing about love is that it allows you to be vulnerable. It allows you to be vulnerable with the one that you love. And Paul goes on to pray that you might know this love that surpasses knowledge in verse 19. Grasping this love is more than just a cognitive understanding. It's an experience. Paul prays, I pray that you may experience this incredible, limitless love of Christ. Uh, Yes, you know, you may experience Christ's love at home, in your living room, Bible open, understanding the, the wonderful truths of Scripture. You may experience Christ's love on the top of a mountain, looking out at the wonder of his creation. But what is the primary way that you will experience Christ's love? Paul told us, didn't he? Let's have a look at verse 19. Sorry, uh, I got that wrong. Let's have a look at verse 18. That you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Paul prays the chief way that you will experience Christ's love is with his people. It's as you sit here in church, shoulder to shoulder, with your Canadian Christian brother and your Chinese Christian sister, that you realize the breadth of Christ's love. It's as a faithful Christian brother or sister walks with you that long and slow road out of a recovery from long-term sickness or financial debt or depression, that you will experience the length of Christ's love. 
It's when you seriously hurt a Christian brother or sister with a careless word or a relationship gone wrong. And when you hear the words out of their mouth, I forgive you, you'll experience the depth of Christ's love. And when you get that tragic but incredible privilege of going to a believer's funeral, you will see the heights of Christ's love, that he raises us to eternal life. If you want to experience the fullness of Christ's love, you'll only get it with all of God's people. Which raises the question, are you with us? Uh, Sure, you are physically present here with us tonight, but, but are you really with us? Are you investing in relationships before, after church, outside of church? Uh, Do you belong to a connect group? Do you invest in those relationships? It's in the act of giving of yourself that you will receive the most of Christ's love. But here's a question for those of us who are with us. It's something that Joffrey raised tonight. Is do you let yourself be loved by Christ through his people? Do you allow yourself to be loved by Christ through his people? I think a danger for us at 645 is that we're all so competent. We're all very able and we don't like to appear weak or needy. But the number of times I hear in this church, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. But we just soldier on, don't we, independently on our own. Imagine if every wonderful offer of love given in this church was enabled to be put into practice. Imagine, imagine the, the love that would be going on in this community. Imagine how Christ-like we would become if we let one another love us, if we open ourselves up to be loved by Christ through his people. And that is the goal of Paul's two very big prayers. That's where he takes it at the end. He says, verse 19, I pray these things so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The end goal Paul has in mind is God-likeness, maturity, depth of Christian character. Elsewhere in Scripture, we know that Jesus commanded us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, Peter, the Apostle, said, Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And here Paul is praying we would be mature as the Lord our God is full fully mature. They're quite staggering prayers, aren't they? Paul has prayed that God would give us power so that Christ would dwell and reign in our hearts and power so that we would know and grasp the limitless love of Christ. I've got to be honest uh, that I've been trying to pray for each one of you here tonight, I've been trying to pray through the list of 645, these two prayers, but the implications are huge and it's taken me so long to get through this list. And I got down to L. So if you're uh, L and above last name, you've been praying these prayers for. And I'll try and get to the rest of us. We come to our final question though. What can we expect as we pray these things for one another? What did Paul expect? immeasurably more. 
more than we could ever ask or imagine. Paul's prayer is sandwiched between two declarations about how good God is. He says, I pray to my Father, and I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you. And then he finishes his prayer saying, now to him who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Paul has great expectations about the God who he's praying to. And so he prays with great confidence. He expects much. He expects bigger, better than he prays for, more than he could ever dream or imagine. But what do we do with the reality of unanswered prayer? What do we do with those prayers that seem to fall on deaf ears? We know that we're praying in line with God's will, in line with his promises. We know that it's that this is a prayer that God has told us he wants, and we're praying, but God, I just don't, I don't feel like I'm getting through. What do we do with those prayers? Let's take our beloved church warden, Ian, here. Ian, I know that you would have been praying your guts out that we will raise the final $400,000 for this church building program, and that is in line with God's will, that his saints are generously giving to support this beautiful church. What if, what if God wants to do, do more? What if, what if um, at the moment, we're, we're just desperate and, and we would love those who've already given to give more, but what if God wants those of us who've given but haven't really hurt to be driven to, to give until we really understand what it looks like to depend on God? What if God wants to do more and move those of us who haven't even considered our role in giving generously uh, to, to start that act. And so God will sometimes let us pray on and keep praying because he wants to do more. More and more hearts, more in his timing, more to make us more like Christ. So we ought to pray these wonderful prayers And we ought to pray them with great confidence. We should be praying that the most fractured relationships amongst us, the most fractured relationships amongst us, will be bound back up. We ought to be praying that uh, the most vilest of sins in us would be brought, brought out and put to death. We ought to be praying that the most unloved amongst us would go unnoticed no more. And we ought to pray these things with great expectation. And it's exactly as we pray these things and enact these things that glory goes where glory belongs. Verse 21, read it with me. To him, to the Father, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It seems only right that having studied the content of Paul's prayers, that we now take a moment and pray these prayers for one another. So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask us to pray these prayers. And we're going to exchange the words you uh, for we, the eyes and yous for we, and, and the words you for God will replace, uh, the words referring to he will replace with you for God. I'm actually going to pray this prayer kneeling, and I'm going to invite you, if you would like to do that, uh, that you can just adopt whatever heart posture you want as we pray these earnest prayers before God. So please join me as we pray. We're going to start in verse 16. 
Let's pray together. We pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that you, uh, that we, <laughs> being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To you who can do immeasurably more, God, we ask these things. Glorify yourself. Amen.